Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 3, episode 18. Rally. For a big dog, Bill could move very fast when he wanted to. And right now, he really wanted to. Paul was the first to see the furry apparition appear from around the corner of the building, ears pinned back, tongue lolling, and making a beeline for the two men on the path. Paul simultaneously prepared to run and looked around for a stick or rock to fight with, but the big dog, it looked like a dog, but could be a wolf. Nothing would surprise Paul in this wasted world. Whatever it was, it had no interest in Paul. Instead, without hesitation, it launched itself at the old man. Paul was horrified. But the old man was laughing. The flying big dog hug landed full on, and the old man stumbled backwards with the joyful momentum of the canine embrace. He landed on his butt in the grass, where Bill slathered his bearded face with big wet dog kisses. The old man grabbed the fur behind the dog's ears and tried to regain his composure. Easy, 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 big fella. I'm glad to see you, too. Paul felt the adrenaline draining from his nervous system. Apparently, these two knew each other. This is Sergeant Bill the dog, the old man announced and pushed his way back up to his feet, fighting through Bill's boisterous ministrations. He brushed the dirt and grass from his golf pants and made a mental note to get some different clothes when he got the chance. Zitzen, he instructed the happy dog. Bill dutifully sat and cocked his head as if interested in what would happen next. His big feathery tail swept the dust and pollen into a cloud from the pavement behind. I've known you all my life. When did you become a dog guy? And how did you adopt a police dog in the apocalypse? Not police, military, the old man corrected, rubbing the big dog's ears and bending over to give Bill a kiss on the forehead. Good boy. Where the heck did he come from? I thought you were being attacked. I don't know. The old man replied, We left him at the... 
He paused because he refused to call it the zoo and continued. The trailer park, but nothing Bill does surprises me. If he's here, there's probably a good reason. The old man looked around. Bill looked back the way he had come from, then looked at the old man and wagged his tail some more. It's all right, the old man shouted toward a seemingly empty courtyard. You can come out. He looked at a confused Paul as if confirming this and then shouted, You're, we're not in any danger here. As if on cue, a small-bodied figure in a camouflage hoodie leaned out from behind one of the big campus trees. The hood was up. They couldn't see the face which was shaded by the bill of a stitched leather cap. Paul had the unsettling impression that the visitor had faded into existence right in front of them, like some sort of magic wood elf. The figure approached a few steps closer and raised their heads so the face was visible. It was a young woman's face, not unattractive, but focused and wary. Willie locked in on the old man and fingered the cuff of her sweatshirt. Everything okay here? She looked at Paul suspiciously. Willie, yeah, it's all good. This is Paul, my son. Willie raised an eyebrow, then nodded. They sent me to find you. Mags is hurt. There's trouble at the D.C. The old man nodded and looked at Paul. We don't get much rest in this new world, do we? Paul scanned the group in front of him in the university dining hall. He cleared his throat and spoke. I know there's been a lot of new information coming at you in the last couple of days. He paused and smiled. And tonight we have some more. Paul and the old man were seated at the same table as before, except this time they were not alone. They were joined by Mac, Jen, Dr. Panagiorgio, and a half-dozen other representatives from Paul's team. Janet sat next to the old man at the long table, clearly fidgety, like she needed to get up and get out and hit something. Bill lay on the floor, snoring audibly, happy to have his humans close again, where he could keep an eye on them. Willie stood off to the side in a shadowed alcove close to an emergency exit. Even Zane had roused himself from his infirmary bed and was against a wall near the door, leaning on his crutch. Paul continued, We wanted to share with you the team. It may end up impacting us on our work here. So I wanted the full council to hear us out, and we'll decide how to proceed. He nodded to his father and sat back, crossing his arms and adopting the judgmental posture of a temple sage. The old man pushed his chair back and addressed the assembly. Listen, we've got a problem back at the place we came from, and we need your help. 
He provided an overview of the situation at the D.C., the connection with the university, and the impending threat posed by the king and his army. He finished with a strong call to action. There are good people there, friends who need help. Look, I know this is a big ask, but come and help us fight. Help us defend the people trying to reestablish a community there. Help us fight the chaos and evil of the king and his thugs. With his peace said, the old man remained standing, but leaned forward with his hands on the table, expectantly looking at the faces before him. The old man could read a room. So could Janet. They watched as everyone stayed silent and looked at Paul. It was clear where the center of gravity lay. Paul, despite his democratic play-acting, was the power in this room, and no one was going to speak until they knew where he stood. Paul accepted the authority and asked in a thoughtful manner, Why can't they move out of the way? Isn't there another option? Why do they need to fight? Janet stiffened and stifled an urge to talk. The old man replied calmly, They could, but they won't. It is their belief that the king must be stopped here, and giving him the resources of the D.C. will just make him stronger. Paul chewed on this. With all due respect, I don't think this is our fight. What we're working on here in the university is more important. We can't afford to bleed off resources to go campaigning with you. The old man stared at his son. Your cockamamie kaiju computer project is more important than the lives of good people. We're not asking you to do the fighting for us. We're asking for a military alliance to stop a greater threat. Like when the Athenians and Spartans got together to stop the Persians at the Thermopylae. Paul visibly hardened. The challenges never end. This is just more old thinking, the old ways, that we are trying to rise above. Another petty war, more wasted human life. No, we've committed to a new future, not this. We've got to be the change. He stood stone-faced and stared at the old man. Janet stood and looked at the audience, making fierce personal eye contact with every member in turn. You're making a mistake. What makes you think you're safe? The king and his men don't care about your new world. She spat out this last phrase like a distasteful worm in an apple. You're just guaranteeing your own destruction. When he's gotten what he wants from the D.C., he'll march in here and kill your boys and rape your women. Or worse. She was fuming. The people in the audience did not meet her eyes, except Mac, who blustered. We can take care of ourselves. Paul stood. The decision has been made. We've got to focus on the work, on the future, or we're just going to keep repeating these petty, destructive patterns. We need to do our work so we can put an end to this for good. The old man sighed. He was resigned. Can we talk to the people in the trailer park? 
He looked at Dr. Patagiorgio. Paul considered this. Sure, they're afraid to do what they want. He waved his hand dismissively and turned to leave. The old man said without much energy, We'll be gone in the morning. Just one more suggestion. Paul stopped and turned. What? he asked. I recommend you send an observer or two to see how things turn out. If things go poorly, you will need to be ready for what happens next. I'll consider it. Paul said, looking pointedly at Mac. Zane exhaled and said to no one in particular, sarcastically, in the way only a twenty-something could be sarcastic. That went well. Willie, who was passing by on her way to join the old man and Janet, winked at him and said, Don't you all worry a pretty little head about it, Alfred. Zane was pretty sure it was meant as an insult, some sort of trash talk, but he got a kind of rush from the encounter. If he was being insulted or put down, it was as pleasant a put-down as he'd experienced. They made their way back to the zoo with Dr. Panagiorgio. Phil and Margie got everyone together to hear what they had to say. Janet looked around at the herd of people in front of her. She leaned over to the old man's ear and whispered, Let me do the talking this time. The old man nodded. He wasn't sure what his role in all this was anymore. He had found Paul. What was left? What was his purpose now? Let Janet handle it. Bill the dog laid his head in the old man's lap and looked up with soulful eyes. The dog sensed that the old man's emotions had turned dark and tried to help the only way he knew. Janet began. The zoo! She shouted with arms outstretched. She paused. That's what they call this place. They think you people are animals. Worse than animals, useless artifacts, obsolete. She shook her head and rubbed a hand across her face with resignation. Honestly, I don't know why I'm wasting my time. I'm looking at dead people. You people are sitting around here playing bridge and shuffleboard and waiting to die. What did they used to say? This place is God's waiting room. There was a shout from the audience. Is this the inspirational part of your speech, lady? A murmur of corroborating chuckles rolled through the audience. Encouraged, the voice continued, Because if it is, it sucks! What happened to you people? She continued. You built things. You lived and loved and fought. And now you're content to sit around and die. What happened was a death-dealing virus. Someone shouted. Janet considered this. Okay, here's the inspirational part of the speech for you, if you want it, if you can handle it. You can stay here and die of colon cancer and dementia, or you can come with us and fight for what's right. She glared at them. 
a scrawny older man in a denim jacket embroidered with an American flag shouldered his way to the front and looked Janet up and down. I'll go, he said flatly. I'll fight. Janet looked past him at the crowd and said, That's it? One scrawny octogenarian? What about the rest of you? Do you have the guts to do something with the rest of your lives? She let that hang for a beat or two and continued in a softer tone. You were scholars and academics and philosophers, but now it's time to climb down from your ivory tower and be people of action, people of character. Don't you teach your children and your students that when the time comes, you have to stand up and defend right from wrong? The skinny old volunteer stepped into Janet's personal space and stared at her intensely. I don't think you're listening, he said, locking eyes with her. I am Lieutenant Colonel Artemis McGuire. I do not need your permission to kill assholes. Someone hooted in the back of the crowd and shouted, Give her hell, Artie! Janet smiled and then laughed. Artie? Colonel Artie? Okay, what can you do for us? Artie considered the question and responded, I was crawling through VC tunnels with a flashlight and a forty-five before your mom was dating, honey. I think you want a losey attitude. Janet was speechless for a moment and then recovered. You're in, Artie. Consider yourself reactivated. Sorry about that whole scrawny thing. Who else? She shouted. As if on cue, the entire crowd seemed to step forward as one. The truth was that they all wanted to join. They were wired to fight for a good cause, even a lost cause, and they may have just found their purpose. Four university shuttle buses and a handful of utility vehicles trundled along in a convoy towards the river and the distribution center. Janet was driving the lead vehicle, an old Jeep Grand Cherokee, not the same as her Land Rover, but a reasonable approximation. The old man sat shotgun, quiet and morose, staring at the floor, lost in thought. Zane sat in the rear seat behind the driver. Somehow, he had talked Mac into it. He would be the representative of the university at this war. His arm was still in a sling. He wouldn't be able to fight, but he might still be able to help. He had a bulky backpack between his legs. Among other sundries, it contained a drone and a couple extra battery packs. Willie sat on the other side, her hood pulled up, staring out at the passing scenery. Zane kept furtively glancing at her. She pretended not to notice. Bill the dog was in back, leaning forward so he could push his big head out the open window over Willie's shoulder. If an observer was inclined to anthropomorphize, you would say he was smiling as the wind flapped his ears and flattened the hairs on his fuzzy muzzle. Somehow, 
Bill knew they were heading for a fight. He'd been there before, riding alongside his fellow soldiers and sensing their mix of fear and anticipation. It made him happy. It got him excited. It was his purpose. Hey, Zane! Janet yelled over the wind noise. He gave a nod to acknowledge her in the rearview mirror. Why is your kaiju afraid to help us? Zane looked confused. I don't know, was all he could muster. Well, I hope you have your stainless steel codpiece on. Because of his lack of balls, we're driving four busloads of retirement home residuals into a shitty battle plan. The old man turned to look at them with a certain craziness in his eyes. Like Monty said before finally stopping Rommel, We'll stand and fight here. If we can't stay here alive, then let us stay here dead. Zane looked out the window, shook his head, and wondered what he had gotten himself into. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my survivor friends. How are you today? Have you been outside the bunker to see the sun? You know, what you can still see of the sun through the radioactive haze of dust and what is that strange red rash, anyhow? I wouldn't worry about it. Probably just a reaction to eating too many tinned sardines. For those of you time-traveling, it is April 20th, 2023. That's right, it's the infamous 420 holiday. Have at it. We have just put to bed episode 18 of After the Apocalypse, the podcast. I'm working on 19 as we speak. Hope to be wrapping up this season on schedule in a few weeks at episode 20. Hopefully. <laughs> I do have a couple of fairly intense week-long business trips coming up. But hopefully I can schedule around that activity. The other thing keeping me busy is I've started training for a marathon in the fall. The Marine Corps Marathon. I've 
I've run it a couple times before, but I'm just coming off a two-year knee injury, so why do you care? Well, it's counterintuitive, but it turns out I am much more productive and creative when I'm training consistently and working towards a goal. Yeah, I don't know. It just keeps me focused. Anyway, I'm running this one for a friend's charity for teen suicide prevention. So that means I'm collecting money. If you're listening to this prior to October of 2023, I would appreciate any donations to my cause, to the charity. I'll put it here in the in the show notes, the link, and you can also find it on my website, oldmanapocalypse.com. I would appreciate your support. Just about everybody I know has been impacted by this, and uh, anything we can do to help save a life, it's worth it. Like I said, when I'm out training on these these runs, some of these <laughs> fairly long runs, my mind starts to get greased up with the happy chemicals and generate ideas. So what follows is an article I wrote this week that sort of mimics the top 10 lists that we've been bitching about on the Facebook group. And it's called the Top 10 Zombie Apocalypse Tropes. And it's worth noting that every piece of content I reference in here is linked in the article, which I will post to both the website and the Facebook group. Links in the show notes. Hey, folks, enjoy and keep surviving. So the top 10 zombie apocalypse tropes. Number one, you got to shoot them in the head. Everyone knows that if you want to kill a werewolf, you need silver bullets. A vampire, wooden stake to the heart. But what about the evil undead zombies? Well, you need to shoot them in the head. Why? I don't know. Well, apparently whatever force is animating these living corpses still needs the brain to function. They never really explain it that well. One of the most disturbing zombie stories that I've read is called I, Zombie by author Hugh Howley. And in his story, the person's brain, their awareness is still alive. It's still aware inside the zombie, but they're not in control. So the thinking brain has to ride along and has to watch all these awful things that their own zombified bodies do. It's horrific. But we all know you need to aim for the head. If you shoot them in the leg, they'll keep coming. Even several high-caliber rounds to the chest, that just makes them mad. You need to get the brain. And as writers, this gives us a couple of great gory scenarios that we can put into our zombie stories. We can have them jumping off buildings, hitting the pavement like a ripe tomato, and then getting up to keep chasing their victims. And again, I will reference Hugh Howey's book for this. We can have them literally torn in half, and the top half keeps crawling. Remember the bicycle girl in the first season of The Walking Dead? We can have them walking on the bottom of the ocean or walking while on fire. There are plenty of fun scenes we can enable when these zombies are indestructible. Unless you get the brain. The second thing this kill-the-brain trope enables is a plethora of fun zombie kills. You don't have to shoot them in the head. You can stick a screwdriver or other pointy implement in their eye or ear hole. You can hit them with a rock or a hammer in the noggin. It's all great fun. 
Remember that guy with the sledgehammer in Dawn of the Dead? Just remember, you got to kill the brain. Number two, smart zombies. So in most zombie stories, the undead are mindless automatons shuffling along in pursuit of their human prey, at least initially. But in many of them, something changes. Typically after the first season, the zombies start to evolve. Why? Well, I like to picture the writer's room where the creators and editors are planning the second season. None of them ever imagined there would be more than one season, and now they have to come up with new ideas, what to do. The story has started to lose steam. You can only have so many gruesome deaths, harrowing chase scenes, and jump scares. So fueled by caffeine and desperation, the writers decide to have the zombies evolve. And then, in season two... We see these zombies, the new zombies, they get smarter. Or they start to morph into specialized mutant zombies. And this gets those writers out of the trap by expanding the possibilities of the zombie universe while simultaneously raising the stakes for the few survivors. At first, you just had to survive, but now you need to find the zombie king or queen or hive mind. And this also allows the creation of real villains, that big boss zombie. Uh, You see this in the We're Alive series and in Helldivers by Nick Sainsbury-Smith, although those technically aren't zombies and Helldivers are atomic mutants. It's not always seamless. There's some sleight of hand that's necessary to pull off the evolving zombies. And at the beginning of the infection and the appearance of zombies, you know, this is almost plausible. You can buy into that. They get infected, they're zombies, It doesn't take too much suspension of disbelief. But when you get into evolving zombies, now you've created a whole new universe with new rules. And when this happens, you might lose your audience. You run the chance of, in the vernacular, jumping the shark. So number three, they want to eat you. Why? What is it that the zombies want? Apparently they want to eat us. Sometimes it's our brains they want to eat. It usually turns out that they don't really want to eat us. They just want to infect us, and biting us is a good way to do that. Even so, this trope allows the screenwriters to create some nice gory scenes where all the zombies have a buffet of entrails in their hands or are chewing off a screaming survivor's face. Fun stuff. One interesting phenomena that I've noticed is that in the beginning of the stories, everyone is extremely scared of getting bitten or scratched. Heck, when the zombies first get loose, it seems like they merely need to breathe on you and you're done for. But then as you get deeper into the story, there are snapping, drooling, attacking zombies everywhere, and no one seems to be overly concerned with a casual swapping of fluids. The survivors are cavorting with the undead daily, and no one gets infected. Why is that? Number four, baby zombies and old people zombies. Yeah, the virus, fungus, or space radiation, or whatever, starts the zombie plague, and that doesn't care how old you are. This means child zombies and elderly zombies. In practice, you don't get too many baby zombies crawling around. I guess that's just too disturbing. Notably, there's a really disturbing birth scene in Dawn of the Dead. And, of course, the iconic little girl in the first season of The Walking Dead. Thankfully, on the whole, 
Most zombie outbreak stories seem to pass over the kids. But grandma zombies, they're kind of fun. It's a nice comic juxtaposition to take the kindly elderly lady and turn them into ravenous killers. Audiences may find baby zombies disturbing, but they don't care if you throw granny in the shredder. There's a great fight scene in the new Ash vs. the Evil Dead series where Ash (laughs) chainsaws a kindly old woman who has turned. And of course, the classic Cockneys vs. Zombies plays with the old people theme very well. And you know what? It's probably fun for the old people, too. Even when they turn into zombies, they get to run around, chase people like spring chickens. Number five, the dangerous quest for the cure. At some point in the story, their survivors need a reason to keep living. They need a quest. They need a hero's journey. And this is where the search for the cure comes in. Maybe it's a vial of something stored in a hidden facility, like in the later Resident Evil movies where Alice is on a mission to find the antivirus. I mean, it's always good for him to have a MacGuffin to wrap your fight scenes around. Number six, the zombie siege. There's nothing better than being surrounded by a horde of ravenous zombies in your, pick one, house, apartment building, car, boat, shopping mall, etc., and having the dynamic tension of a group of survivors slowly being squeezed by a hopeless situation. Reference the boarded-up house in Night of the Living Dead, the apartment towers in We're Alive, or 28 Days Later. There's nothing better for building tension than a good zombie siege. Will they get in? Will our heroes get out? Stay tuned. Number seven, the zombie herd. Now, this is one of my favorite zombie tropes. Hey, what happens when everyone is undead? They form into herds of thousands like buffaloes on the plains and wander about. Not quite sure why they would do this, but, you know, safety in numbers, right? There's a great scene in the zombie series called Z-Risen, where they look down from a helicopter to see a giant herd of zombies marching across the middle of the United States. And like the evolving zombie, the herd is a good way to up the stakes when you run out of other ideas. Number eight, the big gun, or BFG, as we like to call it, or chainsaws, or some other unique violent weapon. When you're in the business of survival, nothing beats a BFG to do some damage. Uh, That Z-Ryzen series also has a great scene where they find a 50 caliber machine gun and mow down the advancing herd with it. Flamethrowers are fun too, right? And what about a rocket launcher for a change of pace? When the zombies are coming, it's time to get the big guns out. Number nine, the government did it. Well, it's not always the government's fault. It's a coin flip between the government and an evil corporation. But somewhere in the early stages, somebody did something. And then in the latter stages of the story, we find out who was responsible. If you have to blame someone, why not Why not the government, right? Works for me. Somebody somewhere was messing around with weaponizing viruses and the zombie apocalypse was their comeuppance. You reap what you sow. This also allows the writers to introduce the evil doctor character. Who and who doesn't love to see an evil doctor get eaten by his creations? And number 10, the new society. 
Eventually, the writers need to find a way out. (laughs) But how do you present the happy ending when it's the zombie apocalypse? Well, here's how. You shift to 20 years into the future and show all the survivors living peacefully on a farm straight out of a Hallmark central casting greeting card. They finally find a warm green space to rebuild civilization. This is how all, those, all the versions of I Am Legend end. It's the zombie apocalypse version of Riding into the Sunset. So those are my top 10 zombie tropes. What did I miss? What are yours? Thank you.